So this is October 9, 2012, in Vrindavan, India, Nectar Devotion, Introduction Part 1. So today what we're going to do is first we're going to have questions and discussions on the preface that we went over yesterday and that I assume you all read before 2.30 today. Uh, then, then after that, I'm going to go over the introduction, just the first three pages of the introduction. Then after that, there'll be questions and discussions on the introduction. Okay, that's going to be pretty much our plan for today. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to get into the definition of pure bhakti, the definition of uttam bhakti. And I'm, going to, I'm actually going to tell you now what exercise I want to do tomorrow. For tomorrow, I'm going to be asking... What's your name? Karunika. For tomorrow, I'm going to be asking you, each of you, to take one word out of the definition and see what change that makes. What problem is there when you remove one word? So you can meditate on that while you're preparing for tomorrow's class. One word out of what? The definition of bhakti. Anyabhulasitam sunyam jnana karma so we're going to ask each of you or maybe in groups everybody take one word take it out and tell me what the problem is if there's a problem maybe there won't be any problem just tell me if there's a problem and what that problem is what misunderstandings are there. so that's going to be oh you can meditate on that where is that verse? Um, it's in the Bhakti Yasamrita Sindhu. It's something that Shri Prabhupada quotes all over the place in his books, although he does not specifically quote it in the introduction. He's talking about it in the introduction, but he's not quoting it in the introduction. Uh, for those, all of you should have received by now at least an electronic copy of this book. That's very sad because they needed to prepare for tomorrow's class. From Vishal, who was supposed to give it to you. So, right here, you've got the verse and you've got each word and what it means. We have this book. Okay, well that's good. Sloka book is good. But in this book that I wanted all of you to have a copy of, it actually gives each of the words. It does, that also in the book. It does, but it goes like word for word. Yeah, word for word. Yeah, but this isn't word for word. This is an explanation. It's like a, a bullet points after each word. You want to make sure again that it's in Balaram font if you're printing, because mine got printed with all kinds of strange characters. So this is, that's what you should have. I don't know what to do if you don't have it. Is there any way people can get soft copy of this today? Electronic copy shouldn't take any time. So at least those of you who are getting electronic copy. Does everyone have electronic somethings? Everybody has an electronic something? Yeah. Everybody here has like email or computer or something? If you send it on email, then it's 
So, can't do anything about that. Okay. So, I asked all of you to come up with one, two, or three challenging questions from the preface. So, let me take that now. We had two people who had questions yesterday. I have a question. How can we challenge both of us for this? That's my question. Well, how, how can you mean, how can I ask you to ask a challenging question? Well, there wouldn't be Shastra if there wasn't challenging questions. It just wouldn't exist. It's like Arjuna says, you know, what is this, Krishna? First you tell me to put all abominable actions far distant and take up booty yoga, and then you're telling me to fight? Fighting is an abominable action. He said, I don't understand. You're equivocal. You're telling me opposite. Equivocal means opposite. You're giving me opposite instructions. Or this yoga science you've just told me, I consider impractical. I can't do it. It's not, this isn't a workable... You know, if you go to someone and say, what should I do? You can do this. You say, that's not going to work. That's a challenge. And Arjuna said, you know, what if I fail? I'll probably just fail. What happens to people who fail? And Arjuna said to Krishna, what do you mean you talk to the sun god? You're my cousin. He's just talking to the sun god thing. You know, that's millions of years ago. I know you. You're right here. That's a challenging question. Yeah, well, not an aggressive challenge. I'm not asking you to come here with bows and arrows, but, you know. And, and also, um, Mars Prickett asked a lot of difficult and challenging questions. You know, he was asking, how is it that God is impartial? He seems awfully partial to me. How is he impartial? And he's asking, you know, how do people get free from hell? And Sugadev Goswami says, oh, by atonement. And Prickett says, no, that's not going to work. So if we didn't have deep, challenging questions on the part of people like that, we wouldn't have the Shastra. It wouldn't exist. The Shastra is a series of questions and answers. So by the way, in this class, it may not be, it may not become a book. But we are also expanding on the Shastra, just by the way. Just like the Bhagavatam is originally four verses, and then so many questions, and it gets expanded, and then someone else asks questions. Thank you for doing that. And it gets expanded, someone else asks questions, it gets expanded. So we're also doing Okay. Yes. Is that all right? Yes. I have a, a few questions. Yes, we'll start with one. Okay. Uh, Two of them are related to this uh, giving your income. Mm, so uh, it said that uh, 50% of your income should be given to Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. And my question is, what if they, which the Brahmanas and Vaishnavas, are not using the money for practicing and spreading Krishna consciousness, but instead use the donation for like traveling and all themselves? What should we do in this case? Anybody want to answer that question? someone else. Okay, what's one answer? Okay. Any more answers? And we should be careful enough to whom we are giving is it to somebody who's, who will be afraid okay. to use any Any other answers? Yes? And um, we should make sure we have enough for you as well. <laughs> yes, okay. That's that's a good point. Yes? If you gave it with the right intention, trusting that person to be able to have a corporate recipient of the money, then no fault is with you. Hmm. 
course, you're expected to check things out a little bit. You might have just been I mean, I know of one case. Yes? If they are not expecting for Krishna consciousness purpose, then they are not coming for Oh, did you hear that? Okay, he said if they're not spending for Krishna conscious purpose, they're not actually Brahmins and Vaishnavas. Now, of course, most people that I know are not totally one thing or totally something else. So I, I remember two interesting things. I remember uh, writing something on the board in a maths class, and then I said, oh, I made a mistake. And one of my students, who was like eight years old, said, but you're a devotee, you can't make a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And another another time, I don't remember what it was, I was saying, I was just talking, but this was outside of class, and I was saying something about some fault of mine, I can't remember which of my many faults I was talking about, and one of the kids said, well, you can't have that problem. Only karmis have that problem. And I said, well, you know, i got a karmi sitting in my heart, too. So he just couldn't get that at all. <laughs> you know, he just couldn't fathom it. So it, little children see things in black and white. You're good or you're bad. You're a devotee or you're not a devotee. Most of us, anyone here want to say they're 100% a devotee? Anybody prepared to say that? So, are we 100%? Anybody want to say they're 100% a demon? So, you know, we're, we're a mix, isn't it? So this that's a difficult thing. You know, how somebody... And then I may disagree. I had an instance where um, I had asked some friends of mine if they would give a donation to a particular devotee. And one of them did. And then later on she said to me, I don't like how this devotee is spending money. And I'm not going to give any more. So that was that person's personal choice. You know, the person said to me, I don't, I don't like how this devotee is spending their money. And I looked at the things that she was unhappy with and they didn't bother me. You follow so it's, it's also, uh, I find you can give money for very specific purposes. Like I have a friend I've given some donations to who told me, one half of whatever I get, I give away. So I gave this person money to pay their electric bill at the MBT. I said, this is for your electric bill at the MBT. I said, now are you going to give half of this away? And the person said, no, if you've given it to me for that purpose, then that's all I'm going to use it for. So that's another thing is you can give money for a specific purpose if you're concerned about that. So sometimes you may just give people money and sometimes you may give people money and say, this is for this. You know, like I have a separate column of donations I receive for publishing and that only gets spent on publishing. Does that make sense? And sometimes you can buy things directly. I mean, when we were producing our... 83 children's books for more than 83 children. <clears throat> there were a lot of people who contributed by buying things directly. Like there was someone who paid for the first printing and they just paid the printer. Or I had people who paid an artist and they gave the money directly to the artist. They did, the money didn't come through me. So other than the main printing, I'd say one, only one third of the money actually went through my hands. The other two-thirds people paid for directly. They'd say, well, I'll pay for the tent to advertise it, and I'll pay for this, and I'll pay, and then they would just pay it directly. So that also 
one can also do that. On a related topic, um, does anyone know charity in the modes of nature? You've all, you've all finished by the year, right? No, not everybody. Prasanta said this was the last book, so. but you haven't finished Bhagavad Gita. Chapter fifteen. You've only finished chapter fifteen. We are doing chapter fifteen. Huh? Are doing chapter fifteen. Oh, you're doing it simultaneously. Oh, so can I give you a sneak preview? Yes. Okay. Coming up in the Bhagavad Gita. This will be like, what do they, they call those in the movies, the trailers? Yeah, yeah. Coming attractions. will be charity in the modes of nature. So charity in the mode of goodness is you give to the right person at the right time with respect. Charity in the mode of passion, you give to the right person at the right time but grudgingly and with regret afterwards like oh why did I give so much to that oh if only I had that money now I one, one devotee at Prabhupada's request gave quite a lot of money for something and for the next 20 years complained about it <laughs> to anybody who would listen or Prabhupada says at the request of the superior. So if the only reason you're giving something is that, so, you know, you don't want to. In other words, you don't want to. You're doing it, oh, okay, I'm supposed to surrender. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to give this. And by the way, that doesn't just mean money. Because money and time for most of us are pretty much the same, unless you've gotten an inheritance. Generally, money represents your time. Correct? Right? For most people. Time is money. Well, it literally, because let's say you work and you earn, I don't know, probably off all different currencies here in this room, euros and pounds and rupees and rubles and whatever. Let's just pick euros. So let's say you're working and you get 20 euros an hour. So if you give an hour of your time or you give 20 euros, it's the same. If 20 euros represents that that hour you were working you were donating to that person. So when you give in charity, it can, it can not just mean cash, it can mean things, it can mean you give clothes, you can give uh, you know, items, time, like that. Cow. A cow. I haven't given away any cows in my life, but yes, a cow. A cow. House, I have given away houses. Houses. Yes, houses. I have given away houses, yes. <laughs> houses, buildings, yes. I have done that. Yeah, I had one, one astrologer. Actually, it was an Ayurvedic doctor who was also an astrologer, and he was looking at my hand for my health. And I said, what about I said, I'm only going to talk about health. I said, okay, okay. And he looked at my hand and he said, you don't have any house. I said, what do you mean I don't have any house? He said, well, you can have a house, but you'll just give it away. He said, he didn't know me at all. He said, oh, you'll use it for a temple. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so we used our houses for gurukulas. You know, we, at night we pushed the desk to the side and put out our sleeping bag and lie on the floor. So I have given away houses. But anyway, giving away things. 
or giving of your time. So motor passion is you don't really want to do it. You feel obligated. You're doing it because you think you're supposed to, because I have to, and I don't really want to. And later on you go, well, why did I give that? And, and this happens also to devotees. You know, if devotees complain with bitterness, oh, I did not live in the ashram so many years, and I worked so hard, and I went out of book distribution every day, and I never even got some decent percent, that's charity and mode of passion. Then charity in the mode of ignorance is you give to the wrong person. Or either you give to the right person, but you give it to them at the wrong time, like they're in the shower, (laughs) or they're sleeping, or something like that. (laughs) Or you give it to them without your respect. Here, take this. (laughs) You know, so that's a kind of charity and ignorance. Or charity and ignorance also you give to the wrong person. Or you give the wrong kinds of things. You give charity of liquor and meat and stuff like that. I read that once in a question to an ethicist, an ethics question. You know, if I have some leftover wine, is it all right if I donate it to the local alcoholics on the street? <laughs> so that's, that's charity in the mode of ignorance. But you do want to make sure that you're not guilty of charity in the mode of passion. Because charity in the mode of passion looks a lot like goodness, but the mood is different. So if you're going to give charity and later think, oh, I wish I had been done that. That's charity in the mode of passion. You don't get that much benefit from charity in the mode of passion. I see sometimes in this time we actually encourage charity in the mode of passion. We push people to give of themselves and their time and their money, etc., in ways they really don't want to do. We pressure them. We make them feel guilty. We pressure them in terms of loyalty to the organization or surrender or looking like a good devotee or whatever, whatever, whatever. And later on, it it backfires and the person is is angry and bitter and upset. So one of the... I read read a study by a Christian organization about Christian organizations that collected charity according to Christian principles, not just used the charity for Christian principles, but their process of collecting the money was also in accord with the Bible. And what particularly interested me, I mean, I was interested in some of their, they identified five principles, was that we also have principles of giving in charity. It's not only what the money is used for, but it's the process by which the money is given. Of course, this is also discussed in active instruction. The prophet says some pretty heavy things about not taking money from materialistic people and things like that. So I'd say that's also really important. You know, this 50% principle is, is something that really should be heartfelt. And if you feel comfortable just giving somebody money and letting them choose whatever they do with it, um, that's fine. And if you're not, give to somebody that you do feel comfortable like that with or give it to something specific. And for goodness sakes, you can also use the money yourself because you're also a Vaishnava. Just by the way. So just like Kolavajishudhar, he was using half of his income, how? To worship the Ganga. So he was worshiping the Ganga himself. I don't believe he was hiring Brahmins to worship the Ganga. That would have been rather odd. So he was worshiping the Ganga himself. So you can also have your own devotional project that you are financing or putting 
again, your time and your energy into. I understand this primarily as energy. That at least half of your energy should go to Krishna consciousness. A fourth of your energy for yourself and a fourth of your energy for your family. And by the way, we can also understand this uh, reverse. Make sure you give a fourth of your energy for yourself. Make sure if you have a family, you give a fourth of your energy to your family. This can also be, you know, usually we concentrate on, well, how am I going to give 50% to Krishna? But I also see people who burn out in their spiritual life because they don't take care of themselves. So Prabhupada says the highest principle is to save others. Higher than that is to save yourself. A shooting star is not wanted. We want moons. We don't want shooting stars. We don't want some big display and five years later you're gone. That is not valuable. So we also need to take care of ourselves. We need to know what we need. We need to know what we need. Maybe you need to buy a Maha Suite sometimes. Maybe you need to have more than two sets of clothes. You know, what do you need for your peace to keep the mind in peace? Like Robert said, Grahasta life is for keeping the mind peaceful. So what, you know, what, what do I need and what do I need today? Which might be very different from what I needed 10 or 20 years ago. Does everybody, that make sense to everybody? And that's understanding something of our psychology, something of our stage of life, and spending some energy to, to taking care of my own Krishna consciousness, my own relationship with Krishna. Is this clear or not clear? Not clear. You're thinking about it. This is, it means, okay, what does this mean practically? Making sure I'm engaged according to my nature. That's one thing. Taking the time to make sure I'm engaged according to my nature. I have to understand what kind of a nature do I have. It's not my eternal nature, but it's the nature I have now. It's like what kind of vehicle do you have? Do you have a bicycle? Do you have a scooter? Do you have a motorcycle? What kind of body are you riding around in? What kind of mind are you riding around in? Making sure you use that for Krishna and not be pressured by anybody to do something that's not your nature. That's one way of taking care of yourself. Another way of taking care of yourself, there's emergency, ordinary, and desired activities, making sure you have some Krishna-conscious hobbies, making sure you have desired activities that you like in Krishna-consciousness. Maybe that's, you know, doing beautiful flower decorations on your little home altar or growing a garden or sitting and learning songs or whatever it may be. That you have something that you like to do that no one's expecting you to do, that you don't have to do, that it's your regular service, and you just like to do it. Making sure you have nice friends in Krishna consciousness, making sure you have time for recreation. Sixth chapter Bhagavad Gita. One cannot be, right? To be a yogi, you have to be moderate in eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. Recreation means recreation, rejuvenation. So we all need some recreation. 
need to make sure our bodies get enough physical exercise. Srila Prabhupada took four hours a day on his health. Four hours a day. Of course, he only slept three hours a day. But he took four hours a day for his morning walk and his massage. Not making sure that we have enough time and facility to keep our bodily health. Making sure we have time with our friends, that we have family, making sure we have time with our family, spending time with other people who do services like ours, making sure that we're strong. We have seen many, 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 many devotees who in the name of service did not take care of themselves, and after a while they couldn't take care of anybody else either. We've seen just many cases of this. So sometimes they just leave Krishna consciousness. They say, I can't do this anymore. And then 25% for the family. So if you, if you have a family, if you're in your Grahastha then also some time for your family. There's no point in being a Grahastha if you never spend any time and energy on your family, then you should be a renunciate. So you need to actually, you know, the husband and wife, some time for each other, the parents with the children. Otherwise, there, there's, you're not going to get the benefit of that ashram. So we can also look at that. You know, as I say, usually we focus on the 50%. We, can, we should also look at the other, but that's, that's actually part of our obligation. Yes? But the 50% uh, if we talk about the money, is it like 50% of the saving, like what I feel is Rupa Goswami spent 50% on what he was having? Uh, no, I'm not saying this is in black and white, just saying like... Uh, uh, yeah, it's confusing, because Rupa Goswami did this really when he took, when he became a Vana Prasta. Yeah, because it's actually the saving. It was his savings that filled a boat, mm-hmm. and he was leaving household life, and then he gave 50%. So that's also interesting. I mean, what my husband and I did is we gave 50% of our gross before taxes income. For a long time, we just gave it to the local temple. Then after a while, we started giving to very specific things, like we give to make the Sunday feast nicer or something. And then after a while, we were running our own project, so we gave mostly to that. You know, we, were, we, were, we spent tens of thousands, if not more, on Gurukula. You know, building the buildings and paying the teachers, etc., etc. So we weren't giving that to someone else to spend. We were spending it ourselves. That, that's what we did. And then we just lived very simply. I mean, we didn't even have a chair. <laughs> we had a rocking chair. No beds. No questions. But not everybody's going to do that. Those are personal. At one point, we had outdoor furniture. You know, those little plastic things that fall down. I read somewhere that you do follow that. You said charity being from attachment having money. I don't know if that quite worked. Could be. Could be. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be poor though. I've been poor. I don't like it. And 
at least half of your energy should be used for Krishna consciousness. Don't be putting 80-90% of your energy into the other parts of your life. Now even taking care of yourself and taking care of your family should be in relationship to Krishna for everybody. But there's still, there's, you know, for most of us anyway, there's probably some difference between brushing our teeth and combing our hair and going out on Sankirtan. If you're in a high enough state, there wouldn't be any difference. But for most of us, we make that some distinction. Does that help? But don't cheat Krishna. <laughs> don't say, first I'm going to buy everything I want to buy, and then whatever's left, I'll give you half. Not necessarily. <laughs> with him. Well, I mean, you can play games with him, but he will sometimes win. And, and no, just... I'm kidding. I wouldn't say give it that reason. I'm saying go using his money properly in the service of the Lord. Krishna will always take care of you. Bottom line. If you're a Krishna servant, he will take care of you. How he takes care of you, when he takes care of you, in what way he takes care of you, that is maybe interesting. <laughs> but that's going to happen whether you give 50, Krishna 50% or not <laughs> it's not that materialistic people don't have an interesting things happen to them in their lives just do you want it to happen from Durga or from Krishna Krishna's a lot more fun do you want it happening just from your karma or because you're part of Krishna's adventure so Krishna will take care of you. The chances that you'll be living on the street eating out of a trash can are pretty small. I mean, it just probably won't happen. And if Krishna wants you to live on the street eating out of a trash can, guess what? No matter what provision you make, that's what's going to happen. So you might as well just kind of get on with life and give Krishna half and don't worry about it. Seriously. I mean, really seriously. There, there was a time my husband and I were so poor that... Um, I never really thought about the money. That was his problem. I was a very traditional wife in that respect. And one time he said to me, Ermila, can you count how much money we have? So I said, what's in your wallet? So we counted it. We had 73 cents. <laughs> Six months later, we had enough money to buy a house. Things happened. And I never had to live on the street. I have had to live in closets. <laughs> One time I had to live in a water cooler, like flower cooler, big, like walking refrigerator. It wasn't cold. <coughs> no, it wasn't true. But my baby got really sick. In. One, yeah. One time I had to stay in a closet that I couldn't stand up in that had no door. And the Sankirtan women were in the main room and they said, if your baby cries at night, you can't stay here anymore. But I never had to stay in the street. I stayed in vans, stayed in cars, closets, and I've always gotten something to eat. I think there's only been maybe one or two days in my life that I had to involuntarily fast because nobody gave me any food. I've always gotten food. And I have friends. I hope some of you are my friends. I have nice friends. Clothes. And watch. I mean, you know, I got what I need. And you see, Krishna will take care of you and give you what you need. Yoga, shame, vaham, yaham. That's what he says. Do you believe him? 
and that's it. So Krishna will take care of you. It may not always be exactly the way you want, because we're fools, and we're like children, and we don't know what's the best way for us to be taken care of. We're saying, Krishna, I want to be taken care of like this, and he's saying, well, that really is not going to make you happy. You should be taken care of like this. No, But he'll take care of us. So we should be giving Krishna 100% of our love, but at least 50% of our time and energy. And we will be taken care of. Uh, we may not necessarily be taken care of with cash, by the way. may not necessarily be cash. It may be something else. It may be a place to sleep and prasadam to eat and service to do and friends to be with. Or it may be cash. I mean, I was in a circumstance once where a devotee preacher was, came to the temple where I was. He was giving Bhagavatam class and he made a statement about how that temple wouldn't pay for his airfare. So I already knew that that temple didn't pay for anybody's airfare, and I felt uh, some kinship. You know, yeah, I know what it's like. This temple never pays for airfare. And then the Sanyasi said, you know, if anybody would like to contribute to our airfare. So I thought, okay. So I gave him $50. And afterwards I thought, why didn't I do that? I usually do that. And then the next day, somebody gave me $500. And I said, well, that worked pretty well. <laughs> but that doesn't always happen, and that wasn't my intention. And that was quite a surprise. I was like, okay, Krishna was happy with that one. But again, it's got to, it can't be charity and mode of passion. It can't be, the prophet said, I'm supposed to get 50%, so I'm just going to give this, and I don't want to give it. Don't give it like that. Actually, better not to give than to give them. Okay, anything else on the preface? Yes? Uh, I was just asking if you spend a lot of energy on your family member and they, they don't turn out to be devotees. So, if your attempt is you have a right to perform your prescribed duty, but you are not entitled to the fruits of action. Never consider yourself to be the cause of the results of your activities and never be attached to not doing your duty. Since when can you argue the controller of the results of your actions, especially when it comes to another living entity? Impossible. You cannot control. You're offering Krishna moment by moment by moment by moment. You're not just offering their... It's not that you do something and then you offer Krishna the results. And it's not that the how spiritual something is is whether or not the results turn out the way you think they should turn out. What, what makes something spiritual, I mean, unless it's actually sinful like wine or meat or something, is that I'm offering it to Krishna at every moment. I'm offering the activity to Krishna. Right? Fight for the sake of fighting without consideration of gain or loss, victory or defeat, honor or dishonor, right? So that's also true for everything else. You do your duty without consideration of victory or defeat, honor or dishonor, gain or loss. That's not your business. It's not your concern. not under your control. We're only one of the five factors of action. Right? I'm only one, and I don't have 20% of the control. It's not that the five factors have equally distributed, mathematically distributed control. I don't have it. I probably have 5 or 6% control over the results of my actions. Right? I mean, I can try. If none of you learn anything from this class, I'm probably a bad teacher. Okay, if after this class, you know, Prasanta says, so what did you learn in the nectar devotion? The what? 
you know, then, then there's something wrong with me as a teacher if everybody says that. What were we studying? Like I had some teacher in, in eighth grade who only showed us videos. I don't know what he was supposed to teach. But he never, whatever it was, he never taught it. So then there's something wrong with the teacher. But if I do my best to teach, I can't control whether or not each one of you learn every single thing that I'm teaching. That's impossible. I can do something to facilitate having each of you learn something. But by the way, you're all going to learn different things, I mean, in reality. You're all going to walk away with something different and different items and different percentages and things like that. I can't control it. That, that's not what makes what I'm doing valuable and spiritual. What makes what I'm doing valuable and spiritual is that it's something that Krishna, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that Rupa Goswami, that Srila Prabhupada wants to be done. I'm fulfilling a, a desire of my authorities. And I'm offering, you know, I'm offering the work to them at every moment while I'm doing it. That's what makes it spiritual. I mean, suppose I break my leg on the way here and don't teach a class, so my prep is still valuable. If I, the time I spend preparing, even if I never get to teach the class, that was because it's being offered all the time. Krishna has kids who don't turn out very good. Just by the way. One of them he had to kill. Which one? Which one of Krishna's children did he have to kill? Bonus. So what happens to Krishna? And in one sense, we're all Krishna's children, and look at us. So, there you go. <laughs> okay, some other questions about the... That's not Krishna's fault. Yes? Yesterday, oh, I don't know if this is what you were previous, but I had a question yesterday in regards to uh, the six first swamis. We spoke about how other sampradayas don't worship... Yes, 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 yes. And I was just wondering, why wouldn't they, if Lord Jaitanya's whole um, entourage were with him, I mean, the Sikhs Goswami is inseparable from Lord Chaitanya. Why did they Well, there are other Sampradayas don't even worship Lord Chaitanya. Yeah, but there are other Sampradayas that do worship Lord Chaitanya. Well, anyone who worships Lord Chaitanya is going to worship the Sikhs Goswamis. But there, there are other Sampradayas who are not followers of Chaitanya. So why would they be followers of the Sikhs Goswamis? They're not. They have their own Acharyas who we don't pay much attention to. I mean, we may respect them, and we may respect them as Acharyas, but I would be surprised if most of kind members even know their names. Do you know that anybody here know the names of all the all, all of ours? So, there you go. But didn't we speak about the branches, that some branches do worship Lord Chaitanya? Oh, I was saying they wouldn't worship Prabhupada, not Luka Goswami. There's going to be branches of the Chaitanya tree that aren't. We're in. We're a branch coming from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. So there are other brand, There are other Gaudiya Vaishnavas that have nothing to do with Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati or Bhakti Vinodakura or Arshulapal. There's the followers. You know the branch from Shamananda Pandit, and there's still the Nichananda Paridwar and the Advaita Paridwar. 
they're still existing. And Prabhupada and Chaitanya Charitamrita that there's bona fide spiritual masters in many of these groups. But they don't all, they're not all going to recognize the acharya, nor do we recognize all their acharyas, by the way. It's mutual. Even the other branches from Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, if you go to other temples of the Gaudiya Mark, they'll have pictures of people that you don't know. And you'll come and say, who's that? Oh, this is one of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's disciples, and his disciple, and his disciple, and you look at the pictures and you don't know who they are. And they've also written books, and what their realization, I mean, I don't know anything about them. What their realization is, what their stature is. My point was we cannot expect that everything that we consider to be authorized, that everyone else who's a Vaishnava is going to consider to be authorized. That was my point. But in addition to that, we can say that this is authorized because it's quoting from authorized Shastra. So even if there's somebody from another sampradaya that I wouldn't necessarily accept as an authority on their own. You see how I can make this clear. And I want to try to do it without naming any names. So let's say that there's a devotee who's a, a leader, has as many disciples, many followers, and says, my realization is such and such. Like one time I asked one of our ISKCON leaders who'd written a book, oh, Maharaj, you wrote such and such. Where did that come from? He said, oh, that's my realization. So if someone says that's my realization, who's going to take that as authoritative? Only their followers. So this person's followers take this person's statements as authoritative. Other people don't. But if this person makes statements from Shastra, everybody takes that as authoritative. So when Rupa Goswami writes a book that's based on Shastra, even people who don't really think of Rupa Goswami as one of their acharyas can still see that he's quoting from the Shastra. Just like we could take something written by somebody in the Madhra Sampradaya or the Sri Sampradaya, and if it was quoting from the Shastras and based on the Shastras, we would take it as authoritative in that way, even if that person that said, well, this is my realization, we might not take it as authoritative. Is that clear about the distinction? For example, the Goswamis describe leelas, Krishna leelas, that are not in any other shastra. Everybody knows this? You're all aware of this? No? So like Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, they describe leelas of Krishna, especially Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, that aren't anyplace else. You won't find them anyplace else. You're not, they're not in the Bhagavatam. They're not in the Puranas. So on what basis do we accept that those are genuinely? I mean, I can't do that. I can't sit down and say, well, I'm going to make a Balila of Krishna. In fact, one artist um, drew a picture of Krishna and Prabhupada said to him, what Leela is this from? And he said, oh, Krishna has so many Leelas. He says you can't just make up a Leela. <laughs> okay, but why do I accept that somebody is so empowered? How, why do I accept that a particular person is empowered in that way? That I'm accepting, I personally accept that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur is a participant in Krishna's leelas and sees Krishna's leelas, and therefore when he describes Krishna's leelas, he's describing something real. But that's because I accept Vishnu Chakravati Thakur as an acharya. 
Whereas someone in the Madhvasandra diet doesn't. And so Vishnu Chakravati Thakur or Jiva Goswami is telling, like Jiva Goswami tells the coronation of, Rad- of Radharani in the Madhva Mahotsava. So if you're in the Madhvasampradaya, you wouldn't accept that book. But if Jiva Goswami writes the Sandarbhas based on the Bhagavatam, you would accept that. Do you understand the difference? Yes. Is everybody clear? Is that clear to everybody? Yes? No? We're sleeping? Yes? Okay. So when we say the nectar devotion is authorized, it's authorized in two ways. One way that's applicable to us, that is authorized because it's Rupa Goswami who heard from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And that's predicated on the assumption that I'm accepting Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as God and Rupa Goswami as an authority. And the other way in which it's authorized is it's based on the Shastra. Rupa Goswami is quoting from the Shastra extensively in his book. So even if you don't think, oh, you get automatically accepting whatever he says because of who he is. Still, what he's presenting is authoritative. Still not clear? Is it clear or not clear? Yeah. Yeah. Because then, um, if it, since he's quoting so much from the Shastra, then it could be relevant also to the other stuff Could be. Could be. They may not even take the time to read his book. Like, we're not necessarily going to take the time to read books from some Madhva Acharya or some, you know, Sri Vaishnava Acharya. We're not necessarily going to take the time and trouble to find which books exist and to read them. Some of us might, but most of us probably won't. And we could find some of those books that we would say, oh yes, this is authority. But they could, certainly. I mean, of course, a lot of Rupa Goswami's quotes are from the Hari Bhakti Vilas which is a very Gaudiya book. It's written by Gopal Bhattu Goswami and Sanatana Goswami. So when he's quoting from Shastra, many times his Shastra is the Hari Bhakti Vilas. Of course, Hari Bhakti Vilas is also quoting, Hari Bhakti Vilas is quoting from the Padma Purana. And so when you, when you trace back the quotes, you'll come to something that's generally accepted by Vaishnavas. Although sometimes Rupa Goswami is quoting the intermediate is everybody following me? Mm-hmm. Is this too scholarly and academic? Am I losing people? Yeah. I'm wondering if the um, other sampradayas don't accept Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as... As God? Yes. Uh, what's, then what's the Gaudiya sampradayas position? Because Srila Prabhupada said that our position is that the others, that anyone who doesn't accept Mahaprabhu as God can enter into Vaikuntha but not into Vrindavan. Of course, they don't even want to enter into Vrindavan, so it's not like they consider that's also bad. Their goal is not Vrindavan. Of course, Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote a book about all of the other Sampradaya Acharyas meeting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in some way. So he wrote a book showing that all the leaders of the other sampradayas had a personal, sometimes private, meeting with Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The Prabhupada said specifically, without accepting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you cannot enter into the higher rasas, just neutrality and servitorship. That makes me feel a little proud, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a problem in general of people who go to the top schools. So people who go to Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Oxford and Cambridge, you know. But I hate to break this to all of us. Just because the school's the best doesn't mean that I'm the best. And sometimes, sometimes some of the best scholars in the world come from the lower schools. And sometimes some of the people who graduate from Cambridge don't amount to anything. So it's not just the school. You're obliged to do, that's the word obliged. Remember, that's motor passion. There's two things you're obliged to do that you must do. You have to do them. What are the only two things that you must do? No. No. What are the only two things that a jiva must do? No. That's an embodied jiva. No. Yes. So a jiva must serve. A jiva must give. We have no choice about that. We have to give. We can decide to whom to give, how to give, when to give, where to give, what to give. But we must give. We are givers. We are servers. We cannot say, I'm not going to give anymore. At least I have to give food to my body. I have to give something to somebody to something. So I must give. What is the other thing I must do that I have no choice whatsoever? Yes, I must exist. Very smart. So I must give and I must live. Everything else is a choice. There's no obligation. Now, there are consequences, but that's another discussion. So give and live. You've got to give and you've got to live. Those two things, no option. You can't say, I choose not to give or I choose not to live. You can go into you know, a long-term sleep. You can become you know, a tree or amoeba and not be very aware that you're either giving or living. That's possible. Everything else is a choice. Everything else, but there are consequences. There are consequences. Should we spend some time with them also? You're using, using the word should again. That depends. Who are you? Who are they? How old are you? What's your situation? There's not like one answer for that. You can't just say everybody has to spend time with their non-devotee family members or nobody should spend time with their non-devotee family members. That you want, that's something you need to look at individually. It's not, it's not like an, an answer for that. Just, uh, oh, somebody asked for a problem story. So. so when my father came to Chicago in 74, and the first time that my father met Srila Prabhupada, my father said, I'm not coming to the temple to see Krishna. I'm coming to see my daughter and son-in-law. Is that okay? Prabhupada said, yes. He said, they are loving Krishna. And I thought, I Krishna. He said, they are loving Krishna. Chanting and dancing are symptoms of loving Krishna. So they are loving Krishna, and you are loving them. So two things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. So there is some value... If you're actually a Vaishnava of getting people to be attached to you. How do you get 
there's value in your Vaishnava to having people be attached to you. Prabhupada said, they are loving Krishna, you are loving them, so two things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. So there is value if you love Krishna to somebody loving you. I assume exactly what he said. No, I don't think there is any reading between the lines. If you love someone who loves Krishna, that's another way of loving Krishna. Yeah. And therefore we say that when the devotee becomes, becomes pure, that they liberate 14 generations, or sometimes 21 generations. And, and Prabhupada writing about this in regard to Prahlad says, that must mean more than one life, because we only know up to maybe our great-grandparents. We don't know beyond that. Most people don't know the names of their great-great-grandparents. So it must mean many lives. Why? Because it's a matter of attachment. The people who get liberated, when we get liberated, are people who have attachment for us. So, but you, you have to see. You know, if I'm associating with non-devotee family members, am I just sitting around watching football games, and you know, or am I bringing them to Krishna? You have to see. Not to judge that yourself. Okay, I want to take, um, let's say, seven minutes till twenty-two, four. Okay, great. And then we'll go over the introduction.